for your presence here by your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. And as Mark comes to preach now, we pray that you would open up each of our hearts. Give us the ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lovely. Oh, it's, it's lovely to be back. I know some of you don't know me, but those of you um, who, who do, it, it feels like coming home. It really is absolutely lovely to see you guys. And, um, and just to say, yes, yeah, so Sarah Jackson is my boss, but she's also an amazing speaker. And actually, every time I've heard her speak, she, it, she's so inspiring. So definitely recommend to all of the ladies, do come along and, uh, and hear Sarah on that staycation. Um, now, just before we dive into the book of Jonah, we're going to be in Jonah chapter three in a moment. But I just want to, um, slightly indulgently, if I'm pay tribute to a few people here. Um, I I was at St. Mark's for five years, and I was so blessed in those five years. And one of the ways that I was blessed was through many of you being amazing um, examples to me, Um, amazing examples in all sorts of ways. Um, But one thing I'm particularly grateful for is the examples of faithfulness that I got in my time here, of people faithfully serving God, giving him their best year after year after year. Um, And the reason I want to mention this is because I think faithfulness is just about as countercultural as it's ever been um, in our society. It's just not how people think anymore, is it? As soon as something gets hard or challenging, I'm out. I'm on to the next thing, the next church, the next relationship. Um, Faithfulness is so rare these days, and yet it's so beautiful when you see it. Now, there are many people here who have been serving God's kingdom in this church like for over 10 years, uh, giving him their best, serving wholeheartedly, pressing on when it would have been easier not to. So, and I just want to say to those of us who haven't been there for, here for that long, get to know them, make the most of them, learn whatever you can from them. That kind of faithfulness doesn't come easy. Um, but there are three particular people I just want to honour today. Um, and of course, the, the time is going to come for a fuller tribute to Paul and Christine. But I hope everyone um, who, who knows them here realises that Paul and Christine Perkin are outstanding examples of faithfulness. In fact, I would say they are outstanding among the Christian leaders of their generation. Very few Christian leaders um, have, have, have shown 33 years of faithfulness to one church and one community. It's a very rare and a very beautiful thing. And don't underestimate the love and the courage and the sacrifice that's needed along the way. And just how blessed all of us are who have been able not just to sit under their ministry, but also under that example as well. It is an incredible um, example. The the other person, though, I want to mention as well is Sarah Spreckley. Now, I don't don't know, some of you will know her, some of you won't. Sarah, just just, just put your hand up, just so that people know where to find you at the end. But if you don't know Sarah, you're missing out massively. Um, uh, But again, her faithfulness to God in all sorts of ways um, is a beautiful and amazing thing, uh, example to all of us, not least her work in Wandsworth Prison. Um, Did you know she's been faithfully running Alpha there for no less than 20 years? 20 years of prison alpha at Wandsworth Prison. And and that kind of faithfulness is is amazing, not least because there is such, did you know, there's such a high turnover in that prison that most of the fruit of her ministry um, she will never see in her lifetime. Most most of what she's done, she she doesn't see the fullness of that. It's only going to be on the last day when she sees the heavenly treasure and the spiritual legacy that she's stored up from that kind of faithfulness. So I just want to encourage you, wherever you see examples of that kind of faithfulness, really take it to heart, because they're so amazing, so powerful. Well, we're returning to the story of Jonah today. If you want to grab a Bible, um, turn to Jonah chapter 3 on page 929. Um, Jonah 3, page 929. Um, So actually, at this point, we're meeting a prophet who was unfaithful. In chapter 1, he is unfaithful, and yet he becomes faithful. But even more importantly, we're going to meet a a God, a faithful God, who is a God of second chances, a God who in fact loves to give people 
a second chance. Okay, so it's Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. Now, up to this point, as you probably know, he's had a whale of a time. Ba-boom. Yeah? Oh, oh dear. Um, he's, he's, he's tried to run away from God. He fails. He gets swallowed by a whale or maybe a whale shark, as uh, Christine mentioned last week. And now he's on the beach and he's brushing whale vomit off his arms and stinking of half-digested herring and bile. And this is what happens next. Okay, so Jonah chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. This is God's word. We see today that God is a God of second chances. We're going to see that was true for the Ninevites, it was true for Jonah, and it's true for us today. So first of all, a second chance for the Ninevites. Um, You may remember from Paul's sermon um, two weeks ago that Nineveh was a seriously evil place. Um, At one stage, the prophet Nahum described it as a city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. And in fact, the language, if you look over to the other page, language used in chapter 1, verse 2, when God says, its wickedness has come up before me, well, that is a phrase that the Bible only uses of the very worst and darkest places. And in God's eyes, that's how amoral and destructive and depraved Nineveh had become. Now, of course, we we might want to ask, well, why did that happen? How did that come about? And chances are, we we don't know, but chances are it happened gradually. You know, as a kind of slow and steady drift. One small moral compromise after another. And remember, no one ever drifts towards God, either as as an individual or a church as a culture. No, we either consciously embrace and pursue God's ways, or we drift away from him. And and verse 3 reminds us that Nineveh was one of the great cities of its time. And of course, it tends to be in cities where you get the fullest expressions of the downward spiral. I think um, the philosopher Rousseau was right to some degree when he said cities bring out the worst in human nature. And I think it's a simple thing, but it, it does happen. It's simply because cities increase the opportunity for almost everything. They increase opportunity in, in every moral direction, in every technological direction, in every immoral direction as well. And certainly in Nineveh, the wickedness had taken hold at every strata um, of society, like, like, like the, um, the chapter says, from the highest to the lowest. Um, Now, of course, it takes different forms. It's not a sort of caricature. It's not a monochrome thing. Among the rich and the elite, wickedness, of course, takes more subtle and sophisticated forms. Think um, House of Cards or the Profumo scandal. 
Whereas in more deprived areas, it tends to take more blatant forms. Think Peaky Blinders or Breaking Bad or so on. But whichever form sin happened to be taking in different groups, it was toxic and it was everywhere. And for God, it had reached saturation point. Enough was enough. The Ninevites had exhausted the patience of a very patient God, a God who is slow to anger. So Jonah is sent to Nineveh proclaiming this simple message, verse 4. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In other words, God says enough is enough. Disaster is now coming. And the question is, how were the Ninevites going to respond? They could have responded in all sorts of ways, couldn't they? They could have taken offence. They could have laughed it off. And yet they didn't. Whatever it was, something in Jonah's message hit home. Something pricked the consciences of those who heard him. And they humbled themselves before God. Verse 5, they believed the message. They humbled themselves. That's what putting on sackcloth is a symbol of. And they prayed. And they fasted. What's fasting? Well, fasting is what you do when you're earnestly praying. And in this case, earnestly crying to God for mercy. And whenever we're presented with a message that challenges our lifestyle, we can do one of two things. We can either harden our hearts or we can humble our hearts. Harden or humble. Make excuses or make amends. Of course, the first way is much, much easier. I find it much, much easier to make an excuse to blame someone else than to take ownership. And certainly that would have been the temptation for the Ninevites. And yet they didn't make excuses. They owned it. And they humbled themselves. Now, um, that might have taken a little bit of time. Maybe they ignored Jonah's message at first. But the more they thought about it, the more they had to admit, actually, just how bad things had become. Or maybe it was that more general principle that you may know, that even people whose consciences have kind of become numb can be shocked back into their senses like a kind of spiritual defibrillator when the evil around them reaches more extreme expressions. I mean, think of how porn addiction works. At first, it's, it's on the spectrum, relatively, um, relatively benign. But, and at first, people get their kicks from sort of normal stuff. But over time, they don't get the same kick. And over time, they're tempted to watch things to get the same kick that are increasingly, increasingly horrendous. But sometimes it does shock people out of their complacency. Well, whatever it was, from the highest to the lowest, the Ninevites listened and conviction set in. And very unusually, it went right to the very top. I don't know how many world leaders today humble themselves in the face of warnings. But the king of Nineveh does. Look, verse 6. Even the king, when he hears Jonah's warning, humbles himself, taking off his royal robes, admitting, I'm no different in this to anyone else. And he covers himself with sackcloth. And it says he sits down in the dust, completely humbled. So from the highest to to the lowest, together the Ninevites turn away from the dark path that they've taken. And together they cry out to God, hoping that God may yet give them a second chance. And that is their ultimate prayer. Verse 9, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And the question is, what's God going to do? How is God going to respond to that? Is he the kind of God who would give people a second chance? Is he a God who would give the worst kind of people a second chance? Well, we find out in verse 10, don't we? When God saw what they did 
and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Does God give second chances? It turns out, yes. Yes, he does. God is that kind of God. He's a God of second chances. When we repent, God relents. And so we realise that verse 4, I don't know what you made of verse 4 when you, when you first saw it. 40 days and Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Isn't that some heartless, hopeless message of doom? Exactly the kind of thing that the Old Testament is known for. Well, no, the thing, the thing is, to, to read it like that, well, that's to caricature it, as it so often is. See, what it turned out to be was a call to repentance. Disaster is coming unless something changes. If you know um, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, um, you may know of that, uh, that really arresting moment in, um, with, with a ghost of Christmas yet to come um, meets Scrooge. And Scrooge is shown this very diff- distressing vision of the future. And he's completely broken by it. And at the end, he says, Spirit, why show me this if I am past all hope? And then he says, assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. He sees what the future could become. He sees where he's heading and he cries out for help. He says, can it yet be another way? And we see here, it's the same with the warnings in the Bible. They are not messages of doom. They are calls to repentance and calls to rescue. So the message of Jonah shocked the Ninevites into humbling themselves and turning back to God. And oh, what they discovered when they did. They discovered that God is a God of second chances, that God is a God who is willing to forgive them. God is a God who is willing to give them a new start. God gave the Ninevites, even the Ninevites, even the Ninevites at their very worst, a second chance. That's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of God we meet in this chapter of Jonah. And yet that's not all this chapter has to show us. It wasn't just the Ninevites who were given a second chance by God. It was Jonah too. A second chance for Jonah. Look at verse 1 and look at it slowly. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Brothers and sisters, please don't pass over that verse too quickly. See, we've already seen that God had mercy on sinners who didn't know him, but then repented. But this verse reveals a God who has has mercy on sinners who do know him as well. And in fact, this verse on its own tells us so much about the nature and character of God. It tells us so much about his love. Think about it. Then the word of the Lord came to disobedient, obnoxious, defiant, hard-hearted Jonah a second time. It's a word of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness. To a man who had defied the living God, who had received the incredible honour of a prophetic calling from the Most High God and had put his fingers in his ears and run a hundred miles an hour in the opposite direction. Jonah messed up big time. He abandoned the ministry he was called to. He turned his back on the people he was called to love. And he ended up in a really, really bad place. A really, really lonely place. Yet God called him back to himself. And back to the ministry and the mission he had for him. And I wonder, can anyone here relate to any of that? 
was there maybe a valley of decision that you faced some years ago when you knew what God was calling you to do, but you closed your ears and you hardened your heart and you ran away from him? Maybe you drifted away from church at the same time. Or maybe you you kind of kept up church in a formal way, but if you're honest, while your body was there Sunday by Sunday, your heart, well, that was in another place entirely. And maybe that path seemed to work out for a while. But over time, you started to realise that the decision you thought was going to bring you freedom and happiness just didn't deliver. And it started to dawn on you that even though God's command was challenging at the time and might have felt oppressive and even unkind... Actually, he gave it to you in love. Maybe running away from God left you just like Jonah, dried up, alone, ashamed. In fact, is there any Christian who doesn't do a Jonah at some point? I know I've done it at points in my life. Well, if that's you, and especially if that's you today... I'm here to tell you that that same word of grace that God spoke to Jonah, he speaks to you today. Look at verse one again and insert your name on it. The word of the Lord came to Shane, Vanessa, Michael, Diana, Mark, a second time. See, just as there was grace for Jonah, there is grace for you and me. And I love how beautifully the New Testament puts it. It says, but he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. In one place it says grace upon grace, grace in place of grace. It's a waterfall, never ending. There's always more grace with God. That is his nature, that when we humble our hearts and turn back to him, we find grace again and again And again, God welcomes us back and restores us to serving his kingdom. Um, A while back, I prayed um, for a guy at church. Um, He just moved to London. He had been in his church a really committed youth leader. But of course, it so often happens when um, people move to another city, you know, in that transition, very easy to delay getting involved in church. And over time, he ended up in a spiritual wilderness. In fact, very interesting thing, he tried to go prodigal. He tried to kind of be the prodigal son, but it it just didn't work for him. He just didn't manage to do it. He tried really hard, but it just failed. So he ended up in Southeast Asia. He tried a wild lifestyle. He had the opportunity to sleep around and all of that. But actually in those moments, he said, this isn't me. I'm not doing this. And the more we talked and prayed, the more we realized he just needed to come back to God's love and grace. He needed to rediscover God's grace for him. And a year later, he's now rediscovering his ministry too. When Jonah turned back to God and obeyed God finally, well, God was was willing to have him back. But there's more. It turned out that God was wanting to use him in a truly life-saving work. What happened in the end? Jonah being faithful to his calling led to the salvation of a city. The salvation of a city. And sure, it wasn't easy. It took a lot of courage to go with that kind of message to that kind of city. But when he was faithful, it led to the salvation of a city. So if you ever do a Jonah, but you humble yourself and you come back to God, 
Well, don't underestimate what God might have for you. Don't underestimate what he might have for you to do when you come back to him, how he might want to use you in his truly life-saving work. So yes, God gave the Ninevites a second chance. God gave Jonah a second chance. And just to press it home, God gives all of us a second chance or another second chance. And this is wonderful, but it is also vital. You see, what was true for Nineveh, uh, that judgment was coming, is actually true for everyone in the world today. The Bible says it. Our consciences remind us. Everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. One day we will all stand before the living God, the God who knows all the good we've done, all the bad we've done, all we could have done, and will hear his verdict on how we lived in his world. And then we'll discover where we spend eternity. Now, of course, that comes as a shock the first time you hear it. It comes as a shock the second and the third and the fourth time you hear it as well. But it is the message of Jesus. I've got to pass this on to you because this was Jesus' teaching. Jesus, who is both the Son of God, that is the highest authority on truth, and the most loving person who ever lived, that is the highest authority on love. This was Jesus' teaching. He was very clear that the day of judgment is on the horizon for all of us. In fact, his teaching is far stronger than the message of Jonah. Here's just one example from Matthew chapter 13. This is, next slide, this is Jesus speaking. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So Jesus was serious, in fact, deadly serious, that judgment is coming. But what that really means is that all of us need mercy. We all need forgiveness, just like the Ninevites did, just like Jonah did. We all need mercy. And yet here's the good news. You see, just as the word of warning gets stronger in the New Testament, so does the word of grace. Look at verse 9 again. Um, The king of Nineveh says, Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. We will not perish. Does that ring any New Testament bells? Well, if you don't know this verse off by heart, I hope you will soon. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. Next slide. This is what Jesus also said. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's not that whoever live a really good life or turn their ways around and then live a really good life shall not perish. It's whoever believes in him. This is the ultimate word of grace, the ultimate second chance, that just as the Ninevites believed God's word and were saved, so whoever believes in Jesus will be saved. Whoever puts their trust and their hope in him will face judgment day with a saviour by their side and shall not perish, but will have eternal life. So whatever you've done, even if your sins and violence could rival that of the Ninevites, even if you've totally failed as a Christian and been as disobedient and defiant as Jonah, even if you think God could never forgive you for the things you've done in your life, well, he can. He really can, because Jesus says so. See, in the end, it's not about the greatness of our sin. It's about the greatness of our saviour. 
of his sacrifice on the cross, his perfect life traded for yours and mine, his death in our place. Well, that is the perfect answer and the perfect rescue and the perfect hope. Last week, I had the privilege of doing an Alpha talk in Wormwood Scrubs Prison. And there were a number of surprises um, on that visit. Um, one of them was that they, I, I don't know if you've ever been in a prison chapel, but this was no pokey little prison chapel. It was an absolutely stunning place of worship. Remarkable to have that in a prison. A stunning place of worship. But even more striking was seeing the joy of the Christian prisoners who knew that they had been given a second chance by God. So in my group, there was a, there was a tough-looking guy. And at one point in the group time, he said, look, I've, I've done some really evil things in my life. Really evil. But in Jesus, I found total forgiveness. And at the end of the session, we were praying. And after the last person prayed, he looked up and he beamed the biggest smile I've ever seen. And he raised his hands together and he said, I love Jesus. That was a man who knew he had a saviour who was able to deal with everything, all his sin, even the worst of sin. God is a God of second chances. It's what the Bible tells us, it's what Jonah tells us, it's what Jesus tells us. God is a God of second chances. He's a God who loves to forgive those who humble themselves and turn back to him, who loves to give people a new start. That's why he calls it good news. And I think for some people here today, this is your second chance. Maybe this is the first time you've, you've been back to church or ever been to church for a while. But if that's you, God is calling you today. He's saying, come home. Stop going it alone. Come home. Maybe you never knew that there was a God who gives people second chances. But now you do. And it's time to get to know him come home and for some here it's not so much come home as come back home come back to the God who loves you maybe it's been a long time maybe you were one of those people who has drifted away from church some years ago or at least your heart drifted away certainly I know how tempting it is to walk away and to close your heart to God especially if you've experienced deep disappointment it's this kind of like self-protection thing because you don't want to be disappointed again and you close your heart and you walk away. But the thing is, it never works. It never works in the long term. It never brings you happiness that way. Because closing your heart never heals the wound. Never, never, never. If that's you, well, it's time to come back to the healer of broken hearts. To the God who, as the scripture says, rises to show you compassion. What a beautiful picture he rises to show you compassion. The God who is running out to meet you and longs to embrace you. Come back home. And don't let shame stop you. And don't let the fear that you've disappointed God stop you. And don't let the thought that you're beyond any usefulness to him stop you. You know, that thought, I failed in the past. God could never use me now. Well, that is all nonsense. Those are the devil's thoughts, not God's thoughts. Because God is a God of second chances. And he loves you. And he never stopped loving you. And he's calling you back. The father who runs out to meet his prodigal children. That's what Jesus taught us about God. He runs out to meet us with tears in his eyes. And remember, he doesn't stick you outside with a hired labor. He embraces you and puts a royal robe back on you. And gives you a glorious new beginning 
as many times as you need that. Your God is a God of second chances. That's the good news for all of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.